Thank you, Regina. I enjoy hearing you read so much. I appreciate your sharing with us the scripture this morning. And I want to encourage you to keep that thought in your mind for just a moment. Because I want to read the same scripture to you. And I want to read it from the words of Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Bible in paraphrase in the vernacular of our day. It may sound so very different to you, but listen to these words carefully as they are an understanding of what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at. Romans six twelve to 23. You must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others and not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom? Your lives healed and expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. I've come to the conclusion that one should not look to Romans, the letter to the people in Rome, the early church in Rome. 
one should not look to Romans as the definitive, systematic Christian theology. Now, it may be just me. As I look at it, Paul's use of terms and metaphors has gone wild. He understands it, I know. But my understanding pales in significance. He is this genius mind whose thoughts bounce all around with the great effort that he is applying to explain the details of who Jesus is and what Christ is up to in our lives. But I fail in my efforts to understand it completely. The deeper I read into this letter of Romans, the more I find myself in the bog. Not that it is not a good bog, it's a great bog. I'm finding all kind of critters everywhere in this bog. But still, my feet are sluggish as I pull my way through. And I'm trying to understand. And I have an appreciation, I have such admiration for these words. It is not unakined to... My listening to Beethoven, I am not this great musician that could perform any work of Beethoven. But to sit and listen to his fifth symphony, all of us have this sense of appreciation for what is there. All of the nuances of that page of music that begins to draw us in emotionally to where Beethoven could only go. No one else went there but he. And I have this appreciation for this letter to the church at Rome as being this act of genius that is effervescent in the mind of Paul. And I can point to that, but I can't understand it all. But I can tell you this, that there is an overarching theme that is incredibly easy to place our hands on. The overarching theme that the apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the early Christians in Rome and to us who are overhearers of the gospel that they received, that theme is the theme of the saving grace of Christ at work in us. And it is of the eternal good of our choosing and our being chosen to be a part of that story or that road or that path, however you want to look at it. All of us make choices. Every day we make choices. When you got up this morning, you made a choice. You wouldn't be here if you had not made some kind of choice. In fact, a series of choices 
that has posited you in this place. You've made choices. I was speaking with an older woman in the church in Warner Robins that I served just prior to moving here to Statesboro, Trinity United Methodist Church. And she was telling me in one conversation I had with her, she was telling me a little bit about her life. And and I said, where are you from? And she said, I'm from Hibbings, Hibbing, Minnesota. And then she smiled real big. I just looked at her. She said, well, doesn't that mean anything to you? I said, no, not really. And she said to me, she said, well, what about this? It's the home of Robert Zimmerman. And I thought to myself, who is Robert Zimmerman? And then she looked at me and she said, maybe you know him by the name Bob Dylan. Then I got interested. She went on to tell me, she said, she said, little Bob was the son of neighbors that I had there, Abram and Beatrice. And they asked me when I was a teenager to come over and look after their toddler whenever they had to go out. She was Bob Dylan's babysitter. You can touch me if you want. <laughs> it was, it was incredible. This, this person of such renown. You know the songs, don't you? Blowing in the wind. You know, you know that great anthem of the sixties, the times they are a changing, forever young, like a rolling stone. These are incredible incredible songs. But there's something that uh, is in my mind as I've reflected on that the past few days. And that is an album that Bob Dylan put out in the late 70s. Some people had begun to lose interest in him by that time. He came out with an album that he entitled Slow Train Coming. Does anybody remember that at all? I'm dating myself and also categorizing myself, too. But Bob Dylan had this experience. The woman that he was living with somehow found Jesus, or was found by Jesus, I should say, and in the process, the pastor of the church that she was attending became aware of despair in Bob Dylan's life and came to visit them, and in the process of that conversation, he simply asked Bob Dylan would you like Jesus to be a part of your life? And Bob Dylan said, you know, I think I would. Incredible story. Now, I'm not saying that Bob Dylan hasn't continued to live a very 
odd and different sort of life. But at that moment, something very important was going on inside of him. And the lyrics of those songs on that album, Slow Train Coming, are filled with this different understanding of life that he had come to in Christ. In fact, there's one song on that album that is entitled, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody. Let me read just a little bit of the lyrics to you. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Might have money and drugs at your command. Women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Let me get on down to one that he begins to mess with me on. He says, you may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You, you may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. May be somebody's heir. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, when that song was published... The world that he had been living in did not understand. In fact, Rolling Stone magazine that took its moniker from his song said that this is the second worst song that Bob Dylan has ever written. I don't know what the top one was on that list. But they said, this is the second worst song that he's ever written. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it at all. In fact, I am not sure, but what in my mind, these aren't the most important words that he ever wrote. You and I know the truth of it, don't we? Don't you know? We talk about freedom and making our own decisions and life choices, but the truth is, you and I are serving somebody. Paul said, you may be a slave to sin, or you may be a slave to righteousness, but he never said that you didn't have a choice to make. You and I are going to serve somebody. 
John Wesley, when he looked at this passage of Scripture, his mind was just turning. And he wrote in his reflections, he said, What comes to my mind is molten metal being poured into a mold so that when it gets there, it takes on the appearance once it sets up and you remove it from the mold, it takes on the appearance of the mold. You and I have the chance to decide what mold we're going to use for our lives. Do you believe that the most important thing is for you to be free? Well, let me tell you that everything that we live toward binds us in some way. But that ultimately, being a slave to righteousness, to right way of thinking and right way of living, will give to you freedom that you never could have imagined. We're coming in on July the 4th. What a celebration that day will be. Many businesses will shut down. They do it in honor of the country. I'm quite certain that Walmart will be open if anyone is concerned about that. But for the rest of us, we will be lighting up the grill, right? We will be sharing time with family and friends, and we will be reflecting on the gracious privileges that we have just to live in this country, right? We'll be thinking to ourselves, at least at our best moments, what a wonderful thing it is to receive these freedoms. And this is what makes America great, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. That's not what makes America great. I don't think that George Washington or Ben Franklin cares whether I'm going to be cooking hamburgers or chicken on July the 4th. What matters, what matters is, do we take on the responsibilities of what originally made this nation great? Do we understand? Do we understand what it is that made these United States outstanding in the first place? Do we see the dreams and the visions that were being cast? And are we buying into it as a part of who we are today? Responsibility is what brings to us the freedoms that we so desire. And it is no different in living into the Christ event. Some people are so convinced that once they are quote-unquote saved, they've got it in the bag, nothing else. Paul would say, you haven't read Romans thoroughly enough. Because we are called 
to live into the story of who Christ is and what he is about. Does that affect you? Can you sense that you have made that commitment? Are you living into the reality of this holiness, this loving grace given to us by this Savior who lived for us, who died for us, and who has been resurrected for us. It didn't happen at my seminary, but word of it spread that another professor at another seminary would begin his semester by welcoming the class in and giving them the order of the curriculum for that for that class for the next weeks. And he would talk to them about the subject matter. But before the end of that very first class, he would walk up to one of the students there and he would lean over and whisper in his or her ear and he would simply say, by the way, you're getting an A in this class. Doesn't matter what you do. You're going to get an A in this class. Doesn't matter if you show up for the class. Doesn't matter what you make on a test. You're getting an A in this class. And with that, he would slip away. I've heard it said that those were some of his best students. What do you do with that kind of grace? What do you do with that kind of grace? You live into it. You want to become a part of that grace. Paul says, let me, let me read it here. <laughs> this is just so incredibly important. He says, you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. May God bless us to not only receive that grace, but to share it. And may you be free in the way that Christ intends. We're going to sing a wonderful song that can become this prayer for us, if we will allow it. It's on page 369. And despite what the Baptist may believe, 
this woman who wrote it is not a Baptist. She is a Methodist. And I just want to point that out to you, okay? Fanny Crosby was a Methodist to her dying day. We have shared great hymns with the Baptist, our friends in the faith. But I want you to stand and sing this hymn and just absorb what she was, what she must have been feeling in having written these words, blessed assurance, Jesus, Jesus is mine. Let's stand together as we sing.